<laughs> Good morning. Isn't it great to worship together? Um, exciting to see those two head off to the Dominican Republic. I spent, as a youth pastor, some time down there bringing kids down there, and uh, what an opportunity to share the gospel with, uh, with uh, young boys and girls in an orphanage. So be praying for them. It's exciting. Um, we're going to continue our series. Uh, we have been walking through the last several weeks talking about sanctification, which is really an, an amazing topic. And we are going to be heading back into Matthew. For those of you who have been with us all year, we are in the book of Matthew as well. Um, but this morning, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. If you could turn there, we're going to talk about sanctification. I got home the other night, tired, really not because I do physical labor, <laughs> probably just because I'm chubby, I don't know what it is, but I, <laughs> I got home from work and I was tired, and our fireplace was on, and I, uh, I went over to our couch, sat down, and the blankets were perfect. Anybody ever experienced this? Like, they were perfect. We had, like, the, I don't know what it was. I sunk into the couch. I put on something from Netflix. I sat back. The fireplace was on. And it was just like, I was comfortable. Like, really, really comfortable. And I heard a screech. Now, my wife is tough. Like, she's CrossFit. She's like, I avoid physical altercations with her. But there is something about these stupid little brown stink bugs. Anybody? They are everywhere. So I am at war. I have committed mass genocide, and I cannot get rid of these things. So she screeches. There's a stink bug. She runs. My tough CrossFit wife cannot handle this little brown bug at all. And just frustrated. All right, so I got up. Grabbed the thing, threw it in the toilet, flushed it. I've wasted more water <laughs> killing these things. And I get back, right? And I'm just a little bit annoyed, but I'm okay. I get back. I sit down on the couch, sink back into the couch again. And I'm in just get a few moments. I'm starting to doze. The fireplace is nice and warm. And my 11 or 12-year-old son, Dad, it's a stink bug. And I'm thinking, dude, grab it. I can't. Just get it, like pick it up, squeeze it, I don't care, throw it outside, throw it in the toilet. I can't do it, I can't do it. So I jump up again. Kill the stink bug. I get back. Sink back into the couch. Two-year-old Gracie. Bug! <laughs> She's standing there pointing. Bug! <clears throat> And I began to contemplate my sanctification at this moment. <laughs> and this message became really illustrated to me. <clears throat> Frustrated. Like, I'm losing it over these stink bugs. And just give up. I give up. I, I get the bug. I throw it away. I don't know why. I did not go back to the couch because I was convinced that my moment on the couch was over. There was no chance I was going to get the comfort I desired. And 
And I say that by way of illustration, but really, I <clears throat> spent some time thinking this week about sanctification, because it's an interesting topic. I was talking to Ethan a little bit before the service today, and there is great possibility for the words that I'm required to use biblically to talk about how you and I are to deal with our own sin could be misunderstood. Because there's a real uh, command and commission from the scriptures for us to, to work, and you're going to see that in, Philipp in Philippians, in the context of the gospel. And so my prayer this morning and my heart this morning is that you would hear from the Word of God and that I would be able to carefully articulate what the Word of God says about how, our, how we are to engage our sanctification biblically and what that means. And, and I just pray that God would speak to your hearts, amen, and that he would speak to mine. Honestly, as I think about my sin, I'm joking this morning, and I'm probably not going to cry in talking about it. But that doesn't mean that, that there haven't been tears over my own introspective reflection over my own sin. And as we walk through the weeks of talking about sanctification, I think there's, hopefully, each of us have been taking time to diagnose our own hearts. Amen? Taking time to, to, to look at the diagnosis of our heart. I think about my selfishness. I think about what it means that I am prone to selfishness. I am prone to be so concerned and passionate about my own comfort. My reactions of anger. My dealing with lusts of the flesh, desires for entertainment, food. My expectations to be served. My belief that somehow in the midst of family interactions, I'm owed something. And when those expectations aren't met, my own thoughts of self-pity, my own reflections and instinct to get angry, my strong emotional responses to not being served or cared for. I recognize in the midst of the gospel that I still struggle with sin. And we've spent several weeks talking about what's the Spirit's work in relationship to our sanctification? What is the Word of God's role and work in relationship to our own sanctification? What's the church's role in each other, in our lives? What is their role, people's role, in our sanctification? What's suffering's role in relationship to our sanctification? And today we turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Read this with me. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's the word of the Lord. Amen? What a powerful verse. Look at that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God. That's huge. It is God who works in you both to will to work for his good pleasure. So here we see Paul in, in verse 12 talking to his beloved and, and to the people in the church in Philippi. And he's saying, as you've always obeyed, so, so now so much more in my absence continue to obey. It's almost addressing that little um, thing that we see in the Pharisees where it's very uh, motivating to obey when others are looking, right? It's very motivating to, to look right in public moments, and Paul's admonishing them, hey, when I'm gone, when I'm not sitting here in front of you, even in the most private moments, even so then, obey. Even so then, do what's right. It's almost like what you say to your kids, you know? You, you, are you doing the right thing when nobody's around? Are you doing the right thing when no one's looking? And what, what we're getting at here as we talk about sanctification is what's going on in your heart, deep down in your heart, in those areas of your life where people aren't seeing the outside? What's going on inside in terms of your sanctification as you work out your salvation? And, and that's Paul's admonishment here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, I want to start at the end of the verse because... Because that is the most important context as we talk about working out our salvation. Because Paul is very careful, and this is where I, I, I want you to take care to listen. He's very careful in explaining the context by which you work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Because it's what? It is God who works in you. Amen? There is a recognition of a cooperative nature in the way that we walk out our salvation. We're working out the fact that we have already been saved. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Your work does not contribute to your salvation. Amen? Please hear that. You're not adding to your salvation. Your work doesn't contribute to your salvation. Jesus has saved you. Amen? You're justified. John Wesley wrote the hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues. And he wrote that conquered the power of canceled sin. What an intuitive line. What we're going after, folks, as we talk about sanctification, what we're going to work out, what we're going to pursue to defeat the power of canceled sin. Amen? Amen? Folks, your sin has been canceled. Amen? Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are justified. You stand forgiven. Jesus' power in the cross has, has forgiven you. It's bought you. It's redeemed you. Those things are all true. You are dead to sin. Amen? You stand justified, not guilty. No one can change that declaration. The highest court in the land, the God of the universe, has declared you not guilty because of Jesus, because of the cross. And in the context of the cross, we are going to pursue and work the defeating of sin that's already canceled. You can't defeat uncanceled sin, right? Everybody hear that? 
You are not pursuing in your sanctification the conquering of uncanceled sin. You couldn't do that. That means you would be your own savior. Everybody with me? Jesus has canceled your sin. And now we're going to walk out in cooperation with the Spirit of God, with God working in us, the defeating of sin that's already been canceled, that we are forgiven for. That's good news. Amen? And so here we are walking out our sanctification and living into the miracle that's already happened in our salvation. How do we conquer sin? How do we defeat it? What's the gospel's role? Christ on the cross, he not only cancels our sin and justifies us in the, in, the, in the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ, but the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ unleashes the power of our sanctification. The reality of the gospel in Jesus Christ has justified us, forgiven us, canceled our sin, but it's not just on that, it's also unleashed the power of our sanctification. So how do we experience that power over sin? The power of, of the gospel, the reality, the already reality of the gospel in our lives. It, it declares to us, what does the gospel declare to us? Number one, that we're dead to sin, right? Folks, we're dead to sin. Look at Romans 6. Take a look at Romans 6, 11 and 12. This is important to look at as we walk through this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So look at that in Romans, Romans 6. Um, you're dead to sin, and then in verse 12, let not sin. So we're dead to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. We're forgiven, right? The reality of the gospel is that we are forgiven. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ, what? Forgave you. We are forgiven because of the gospel. We, we glorify God in our body because we're bought with a price. 1 Corinthians talks about being bought. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. So as we look at the context of Scripture and the reality of, God, of the gospel, I want you to think about this for a moment. My impulse to pursue holiness is the death of Christ. How do we conquer sin as we work out our salvation? My impulse for sin killing, my impulse to pursue the death of sin in my life is the reality, the already reality of the death of Jesus Christ and his justification and forgiveness and buying of me. Amen? We're forgiven. We're bought with a price. We're redeemed. Jesus has died for us. And the impulse that we see in the scriptures is the impulse to kill sin in our own lives is the focus in and on the reality of the gospel in our lives. Amen? Look at, let not sin. So you're dead to sin because of the death of Christ. And then the scripture says in Romans, let not sin reign. You, you, Jeremy, let not sin reign in your body. 
Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has caused you to be dead to sin. Therefore, Jeremy, let not sin. You're forgiven. Jeremy, because Christ forgave you, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving. Why? As Christ forgave you. The impetus for me to pursue sanctification, the impetus for me to even see life change is because of the reality of what Christ has already done. We can't forget that, folks. We can't get it backwards. Amen? There are a lot of people that are like maybe like box-checking Christians that identify themselves as Christians or whatever, that, that, that if you were to talk to them about the realities of the gospel, particularly in our culture, in our area in central New York, really it would amount to this. You know, Jesus was was great, and I'm going to just be the best person I can be, right? So do my best. I'm just going to try to be good enough. Folks, that's not the gospel. That is not sanctification. The gospel, is, as we walk through Romans, as we understand it, is that we can't be good enough. We are not good enough. We fall short. Our good works are as filthy rags, and that's why Jesus came, and he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved. He's the only one who didn't deserve it. And through the death of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was our substitute. He absorbed the wrath of God for our sin, and we stand justified and forgiven. And folks, you do not add to it, and I do not add to it. He has done it for us, amen? amen. And now Paul says in Philippians, in light of that, work that miracle out. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. Man, we spend, and rightfully so, we spend a lot of time talking about the grace of God. Because it is so motivating. It is so remarkable. That the God of the universe would have that kind of grace on me. And on you. That he would save us. That he would forgive us. That he would absorb the wrath of God for us, should blow our minds. And as we contemplate that, as we let the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ wash over us, as we spend time on the Lord's Day together singing about it, as we spend time in the Word reading about it, getting close to it, recognizing it, the impetus of the gospel should not push us to a place where we say, cool, I'm good then. The reaction to a life focused in on the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is to respond with an impulse to now walk and in cooperation with the Spirit continue to kill sin in my life. Everybody hear what I'm saying? There's a fruit that comes from the gospel. And the fruit in our lives that comes from the gospel is an impetus for us to now turn and walk out the miracle that's already happened. Walk out the reality of the gospel in our lives. And to live a life pursuing sanctification. To live a life mourning over our sin, as we talked about in Matthew. Blessed are those who mourn. To pursue a life that, that recognizes how my sin hurts people, how my sin is destructive, and how my sin is, is in contradiction to what God has done for me. 
And so we see Paul in Philippians say, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. What does that really mean? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And it's not, it's not panic and alarm. It's not saying work out your salvation in panic and alarm. What it's saying is work out your salvation in awe and in reverence to the reality of who God is. Those of us saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ recognize that the almighty God of the universe is near to us. He's close to us, and he's working with us in our lives in cooperation. And so as we struggle with sin, recognizing the reality of the gospel and who God is, there should be an awe and a reverence and a fear of him in the way that we live our lives. Amen? Amen. We're talking about a God who was your substitute, who died for you, who loves you, who came all the way to reach down into the pit of our lives and rescue us, and now is working in cooperation with us to live out the reality of his salvation. And there should be a sense in us as we worship him with our lives because of what he's done There should be a sense of awe and reverence and fear as we begin to change and live out the reality of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. God's at work in you. It's God who wills and to work for his pleasure in your life. God, the God of the universe, the God who saved you, the God who rescued you, he is at work in your life. Get in cooperation with him. Exercise the the reality of that with some fear and some trembling and some reverence and some awe and some worship to the God who saved you as you think about the way you're behaving. Amen? I am convinced that I do not take the reality of the sin in my life serious enough. Listen, Jeremy, where's the grace? The reality, where's the grace, Jeremy? How come we're not talking about love and grace? What's going on here? What's this prayer confession stuff? Why are we always confessing our sin in church? Folks, the reality of the grace of God isn't to ignore sin and pretend it doesn't exist and walk around like everything's cool. The reality of the grace of God is that God has saved you and you are free so you don't have to hide it anymore. You can can address it. It doesn't bury you and kill you because Jesus took that upon himself and now it doesn't kill you so you can stand up and you can fight it. You can address it. You can hit it head on and guess what? You're going to win. Isn't that good news? We don't have to hide our sin. We don't have to bury it under the rug. We don't have to pretend it doesn't exist. That's not grace. That's living in death. Jesus shines a light on our sin and he says, you're forgiven. You didn't do it. I did it for you. So now stand up and fight. Stand up and and work. Stand up and get this thing killed because I've accomplished it. I'm cooperating with you and you are going to see victory in your life. Amen? That is good news. Work talking about our work in cooperation with the Spirit to kill our sin isn't an anti-grace message. It's only possible because of the reality of grace. We're prone to want to just 
Heisman the thing. But we're free to fight it. We're free to stand up and address it. We're free and capable through the power of the Spirit to hit it head on. Guess what, folks? We're going to fail. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. And then we get to worship in the reality of God's forgiveness and His grace and then go after it again and keep pursuing the killing of the sin in our lives. Amen? Fear and trembling. It's not a threat. It's a gift. This is a gift from God. He's close to us in this. The Spirit is working and willing and cooperating with us. I just want to read some verses that illustrate this. Romans 7, 6. We died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. I serve in the newness of the Spirit. Romans 8.13, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. I put sin to death by the Spirit. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live, Christ lives in me. Amen? 1 Peter 4.11, whoever serves, let him do it as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I serve, but in the strength that God supplies, and it's a blood-bought supply. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever serves, oh, I just read that, amen. 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. I worked, but it was the grace of God that was working in my working. You hear that? Listen to this reality. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I recognize that everything I am is because of the grace of God. Amen? God has done it. I didn't contribute to it. But then listen to Paul. And his grace towards me, it's not in vain. Why is it not in vain? I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not me, but the grace of God within me. Is that contradicting? No. Here's, here's what this boils down to. In response to the gospel, work really hard, but don't trust in your work. Trust God. You hear me this morning? In response to the gospel, as you look at the reality of the cross and what Jesus has done, it should initiate in you an impulse to work really hard to kill sin in your life. But in your working, you don't trust in your work. Trust God. Why? Because Philippians says, it is God who works in you for his pleasure. God's working with us. Amen? 
So we're cooperative in sanctification. I watch a lot of wrestling. And when you get to high-level wrestling, like D1, Olympic, there's very little difference um, in these guys. And I, I watch a particular guy, his name's Kyle Dake, he wrestled for Cornell, Cornell four-time national champion. He's the only guy that's ever won a national championship at four different weight classes over his years in college, and he's going through the Olympic trials. And I was on YouTube watching his workouts. That's what I do. I watch people work out. <laughs> Somehow I feel as though it's going to help me, <laughs> and it has not yet. <clears throat> I know a lot about working out. <laughs> It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? <laughs> knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Um, and this guy, Kyle Dake, he, he's, he's remarkable. And, and, and I'm watching this YouTube video, this documentary Flow Wrestling did on him. And he's talking about he does a lot of functional, functional workouts that relate to wrestling. So he's not just bench pressing and squatting. He's doing some stuff that that has to do with pulling and pushing and building his muscles in that regard. His diet, he's a super all-natural kind of guy, and he does this little thing with his diet to get an edge. And this guy is so intent on getting an edge on his competitors because they're all so close. I mean, he's about to face for the Olympic trials to make the Olympic team a guy named Jordan Burroughs, who's probably the best wrestler in the world. And, and so he's trying to get this edge, and he goes as far and as detailed and works as hard as, like, he won't, he won't even look at a blue light on his cell phone because the blue light has a bad effect on the body, I guess. So he changes the light of the cell phone because people staring at blue lights apparently has some sort of effect. I mean, what a remarkable detail, right? And this guy pursues like really detail anything he can think of to get an edge. If you saw his diet, if you saw his workout, if you saw the way he behaved, I actually went to a Cornell match a couple weeks ago and saw him and talked to him for a second. And I, I mean, he is just shredded. You know what I mean? Like not, no body fat. Like he, he just looks like he does that. Like he pursues it. And really there's, there's, a, there's a, a goal that he has to be an Olympic champion and he is going to take every step necessary to do more than the other guy that he's going to face. And when you hear him talk about it, he gets up early in the morning and he says, when I'm up early at 4, 4.30 in the morning and I'm working out, I'm thinking my competitor isn't up yet. I want to get up before him. And when I'm doing these things, I'm thinking he's not doing the thing I'm doing because it's going to give me the edge that he needs to get that takedown, to get that point. And those matches come down to one, two, one scramble, one exchange, and it's going to make the difference between who's Olympic champion and who's not. And I, I, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, what a remarkable amount of effort, what a remarkable amount of work that he's pursuing. Here's the good news about us. Think about this. God's calling us to work out our salvation and to pursue killing sin in our lives. But the end result is God does it in the end. Listen, work really hard, but you don't have to trust in your work. You get to trust God because he's working with you and you win. Amen? 
What an amazing thing to know about our work in this life. Why? Why do we do this? Because he saved us. Here's what I recognize as I think about my own life. When I sin, I hurt my wife. When I sin, it affects my marriage. When I sin and snap and yell at my kids out of anger and not out of loving discipline, it hurts my kids. When I don't work hard, it affects my job. It affects those around me. When I fall short, I hurt people that I love. When I'm not growing in the fruit of the Spirit, when as a Christian I'm not growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I'm causing pain and hurting others around me. And I'm not glorifying the God who saved me. People aren't seeing the reality of the gospel in my worship of him when they look at my life. You see, when Jesus saves us, and when we take a moment and think about what that actually means. The greatest desire of our lives becomes glorifying and worshiping Him. Amen? What else am I doing? Honestly, what else am I doing? If my life isn't designed to worship and bring Him glory, what am I doing with my life? What else do I have to do? Make some money? Get a vacation? Buy a bigger house? Get a different car? Find some leisure time? Get to a place in life where I can go somewhere warm, chase a white ball for a while? What are we pursuing? Well, honestly, what are we, what are we going after? Better job, bigger paycheck, bigger house, more entertainment, more leisure time. What are we looking for? What is life about? What are you even doing? Well, the answer to that question is the gospel. We're here to worship and glorify the Savior of the universe. And guess what? Our greatest joy isn't found in the things of this world. Our greatest joy is found in him. That other stuff is a counterfeit. Amen? It is a worthy pursuit in light of the gospel. And I know this, that as I look at my own life and I read this passage, I need to start pursuing it 
like Kyle Dakes pursuing an Olympic championship. I need to start pursuing glorifying God in my life and killing sin in my life like it matters. Because, folks, it is the only thing that matters. And at the end of the day, all of my work and all of my toil and all of my race that I'm running, as Paul talks about running the race, I don't even have to trust in my work. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to trust God because God's at work for his pleasure and his glory in my life. The spirit of God is working in me. Amen? Guys, folks, as we pursue sanctification in our lives in light of the gospel because of the reality of the gospel, the world's going to see Jesus. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. Thank you for the reality of the gospel. Thank you that you don't just leave us to ourselves, but you've reached down and you've saved us. And then you've sent your spirit to work with us as we walk this thing out. Lord, at the end of the day, help us to love better. Help us to be more patient. Help us to be more kind. Help us to have more self-control. Help us to pursue killing sin in our lives because you have already defeated it. Let us work out the miracle that you've accomplished on our behalf as we work out our salvation in awe and in reverence to you. And we thank you at the end of the day, as hard as we work, we recognize it's you that's at work. You're the one at work in us. You're the one who's done it all. We trust you, the only one worthy of trust with our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to go right into the Lord's table this morning. And I think it's important right now, even as we have just walked through this passage in Philippians and